Acts chapter 20, 13 to 38. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after we arrived at Miletus, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul, set sail, or Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, as he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. The word of the Lord. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can uh, continue in Acts, uh, hear the story of Paul, hear the story of this church and what you are doing in it. I pray that you'd open the word to us, uh, help us to hear whatever message you want us to hear. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there are some uh, of our teens who have done like track and field and maybe some adults too. So if you ever did track and field or currently doing it now, maybe just raise your hand. Just show of hands who, who are our athletes and uh, everyone else is, I guess, not an athlete. Uh, I, I did not do it. Uh, so I, my, my hand is not raised, but I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, my brother did it when I was growing up. So he did 
Well, first he did cross country, and then he also did the long jump. I think, if I remember right, like one of the stories was that like when he first did it, he like broke the school record, but it wasn't in a meet, it was just at practice. And then he like couldn't ever repeat it in the actual event, so it was kind of a bummer for him. But uh, theoretically, he's broken the school record. Uh, then he also ran uh, hurdles. Anyone run hurdles here? I thought that looks really cool, uh, where you like kind of go over them and try not to tip them over. The, he ran the 110 and the 300, so you ran the hurdles, Ben? No. Oh, you ran the 100. Okay, cool. Uh, so apparently there's uh, Olympics this summer. Was that a delay from last year? I think they postponed it because I was like, this is 2021. This is very confusing. Why is there Olympics this year? Uh, it's a delay from last year. Uh, and they do these relay events, right? The 4 by 100 and other relay events. Uh, and I was going to tell a story of the 2016 Rio Olympics. So this is the women's USA 4x100 uh, uh, relay race. Does anyone know this story? Does anyone know what's about to happen uh, at this moment? Does it look like it's a good pass there? Like, does it look like she's able to grab onto that baton? <laughs> no. Uh, this uh, is a pretty interesting story. So there's uh, four teammates, English Gardner, Allison Felix, Tiana Bartoletta, and Tori Bowie. And they were almost disqualified uh, from the Olympics because of what happened here. So Bartoletta started the race. She's not pictured here. And she smoothly handed the baton to Allison Felix, the women in the back. Uh, who she sprinted down the track. They're like super fast. They're incredible athletes. I'm amazed by what they can do. And as she was handing the baton to English Gardner, she tripped and dropped the baton. And they were just like, no, because right, like the four years that they've been prepping, training for this, this like single event is just in a moment gone. Uh, but then you could tell like they had this conversation and she said, go back, pick up the baton and finish the race. And so that's what they did. She gave the baton to the next one and then they finished the race. They passed it on. Uh, because what they're going to do is they're going to challenge the results, right? Like in a, a football game, you can kind of challenge um, uh, the results, the, the play. Uh, and what had happened is that in the next lane over, the runner from Brazil, the host nation, had like, when she started sprinting, she kind of like flailed her arms and she hit uh, Felix in her arm. And, but you're not allowed to do that, right? You're not allowed to like, this isn't Mortal Kombat, right? You're not allowed to like push into people. And so they were disqualified and they had a second opportunity to run. So they actually ran the race uh, again by themselves. Uh, so it was a very weird event in the Olympics. So there was no one else on the track and they ran just for time and they qualified for the finals. And so I tell that story of passing the baton because passing the baton is really important, right? <laughs> Uh, continuing the race, uh, finishing the race, being a team that works together. And as we look at today's passage and we think about ourselves as a church, I think we see a similar message of Paul passing the baton to the elders at Ephesus. Paul uh, uh, passing like, hey, this is what you can do. This is what I've been doing uh, to, to bring success, to, to run this race well, because Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has told him, I don't know how, but the Holy Spirit communicated to him that 
He's going to face hardship, suffering, trial. He's not going to see these elders again. He will yet write the letter to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, but right now he needs to just focus on finishing this leg of the race, passing the baton to them so that they can continue in Ephesus. And we actually see Paul using some of this language of race in verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he is trying to race ahead to finish his leg of the race, and he wants to smoothly pass the baton to the, to the elders at Ephesus, to the church at Ephesus, so that they keep preaching the gospel, that they keep talking about the grace of God. Now, as we think about ourselves as a church, we're not going through a as significant as a transition as this by any means at all. Uh, at all. Uh, I'm going on sabbatical this summer for nine weeks, but I would be lying to myself if I thought I carried the ministry of the church. It's certainly something that we do together. But this is an opportunity for us to think, like, how can we keep the, the, the momentum, the ministry going forward, right? How can we continue to to, to receive the baton and to pass it forward, even to like the next generation as we continue to raise up other people in our church that they would have the baton because one day God's always going to direct us to, to pass the baton to the next generation of followers of Jesus. So there's a lot of applicability to us as a church as we look at what Paul is doing here. Now we're running our race in a particular time and place, right? This is the Olympics in Rio. I, I would like to have gone to that. That was pretty cool. Uh, I'm not going to go to the Olympics in Tokyo, as far as I'm aware. I don't know, maybe. Um, uh, but Paul was running his race in the Mediterranean, right? Like Palestine, Asia, what we look at as Turkey, Greece, and then eventually Rome. Uh, and so I want to put up on the here, you know, we're in Acts, and this is the, the Dora the Explorer part of the sermon, right, where we, we look at the map, figure out where we're going. Um, I'm still telling Dora the Explorer stories every night, so if you have any good ideas for Dora the Explorer stories, please let me know. I could use some help. Uh, so uh, right here, this is Paul's third missionary journey, okay? So you can see where he started out, Antioch, went up, he went to Corinth, Athens, and now he's coming back, and this is where I'm going to start reading. He's at Troas, okay? So Asia, this is Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, there's Ephesus, and so he's going to make his way down here. But I'm just going to read a couple verses, and you can listen along, or you can read it in your own Bible. Verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for a sauce, I don't know, a sauce, uh, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at a sauce, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, Mytilene. Uh, and sailing from there, we came uh, the following day opposite Chios, and the next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church to come to him. So you can kind of see on the map where he's going, right? Uh, I've always wanted to, you know, do one of those Middle Eastern tours where you kind of go around to the different sites, and maybe that'll happen after my trip to Tokyo, uh, but uh, you know, it'd be cool. You can, you can actually retrace some of the places that 
Paul has been. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, and I want us to pause and just kind of think about Paul, right? So he does stop at uh, Miletus, and that's about 30 miles from Ephesus. He calls to the elders, has them come to him. But uh, before we kind of get to that, just think about like the big picture of Asia. You guys remember back uh, in Acts chapter 16, God actually forbade Paul to enter Asia. God said, you can't go to Asia. <laughs> you have to go, go on to Macedonia, right? And at first that was kind of discouraging, right? Because they had wanted to go to Asia. But it was all about God's timing because then we get Lydia. They meet Lydia who's in Macedonia, who's from Asia. She's from uh, uh, where they want to go. But then God actually takes Paul to Ephesus. And he spends about three years in Ephesus. So sometimes God might call you through his Holy Spirit, through that nudging to, to do something for him. And then it doesn't happen for three years or four years or, or it doesn't happen for a while. But it's all about God's timing in these events, right? So uh, and I know that uh, uh, many people have that as their personal stories where God communicated something to them. But it took time. It took a couple of years before God made it a reality. Well, we see that here in this passage. And then when God does make it a reality, it's amazing and it's fruitful and it's beautiful because he spends three years there pouring into people. And it, and it kind of has this very climactic uh, ending uh, because there's the big riot at Ephesus, right? His ministry is so effective there, the people accuse him of converting all of Asia. <laughs> and then they, they like have this huge mob scene and all the silversmiths get angry. And he kind of has to, to, to leave town. But now he's coming back. He's not quite going to Ephesus, but he's at least talking to their leaders. And so it's really important that there's like a smooth baton pass here, isn't it? Because well, they, they're up against a lot. They're up against religious, social, economic powers in Ephesus, and they need to be aware. And we at Cornerstone, we face our challenges, don't we? We've been here since 2015. Right? We launched our weekly service, and we've gone through seasons of plenty and seasons of want. We're currently in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. That's pretty interesting. Uh, and we need to make sure that God uh, is, is, that we are focusing on the Lord and that we are uh, going forward the way that he wants us to go forward uh, and passing the baton when we need to pass it to do so well. So I want to talk about uh, four different ways that I see, uh, four different ways to keep the ministry going forward because I think I, as I look at Paul, I, I see this in, in, in what he's sharing. And the first thing that's like pretty simple, it's just like genuinely loving the church. I know it's cool today to dislike the church, to be like, you know, I hate the church. I hate the, I, I, I hate the church. I love the people. Uh, it's like, well, what does that even mean? The church is the people, <laughs> right? And, 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 and what Paul is saying and what he's communicating through his actions and through his word is that he generally loves the people at Ephesus. Verse 18, so I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen. You can look at your Bibles or your phones or, or whatever. Verse 18, it says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Uh, and I'm just kind of struck by something here. In the next couple of verses, he's going to say, like, I went door to door instructing you. Uh, and, I, and I preached in public. And I'm struck by Paul, like, how he integrated his life into the lives of these people. He was actually a tent maker, and he, he did that, that kind of business with Priscilla and Aquila. 
Uh, and so he knew them, and then he knew the people of Ephesus. He spent time with them. Like, uh, you know, one of the things Marcus said is, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. <laughs> love is spelled T-I-M-E. Because you can say, I love you, but then you never spend time with someone. It's like, do you? Uh, not really. Um, and, and so, like, there's a challenge to us here to say, like, do we love each other? And if we were to measure that love, maybe we could say, how much time or do we spend with one another? Uh, both formally as a gathered church body, then just personally uh, with each other. What's one of the things I've so appreciated about the, the men's campfire, right, is that we're trying to pair up. We recognize we can't spend all t- you know, every hour with each other all the time, but we can try to like, make these intentional kind of pairings where we get together and, and pray for one another and read Scripture and, and study. And, and then the women, right, you're starting uh, this women's well, I guess it's not going to be a campfire. The, the campfire, apparently w- women don't always like to burn stuff too. Um, uh, there was a, uh, uh, but like you guys are going to get together, right? And you're going to, you're going to, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you guys have this book and you're going to get together and you're going to study and you're going to have a conversation, right? Uh, and you're going to get to know each other. You're going to spend time with one another. And the college group just had our time together and we're going to do some more things. And the youth group gets together at the park. These are ways that we get into each other's lives. It's a way we show our love for one another, and it's a way that we practice loving one another. And if we look at like the fruit of this in, in Paul's, uh, Paul's ministry, verse 36, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on part of all. Like they loved him. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken. They would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. It's like they don't even want to say goodbye to him. They're like, we're going to follow you to the ship, man. We're going to follow you and say goodbye. You know, I don't know. This only does it for like 4% of the people out there. But Lord of the Rings, right, the last scene, especially the extended edition. I don't know if you've seen the extended edition. It's really good. It's much better than the shorter edition. But there's like this extended goodbye uh, where... Uh, Sam, who's been on this great journey uh, with Frodo and Pippin and Mary, they're saying goodbye. Frodo is leaving. Bilbo's leaving. Gandalf, the elves, they're, saying, they're sailing off to the undying lands, and they just, like, embrace and weep and say goodbye. And that's, like, what we're seeing here. Paul is going to Jerusalem, and then he senses the Holy Spirit's going to take him to Rome, and it's not going to be easy. And so they're weeping, they're embracing, they're saying goodbye. And actually, I was thinking about the, our tangs, the tangs, our tangs, right? When they left Cornerstone. That was kind of a hard thing. Like, we really loved, loved the tangs and still love them. I think they still occasionally join the youth group uh, through Zoom. Um, and I remember, like, so they were leaving. They packed up. You know, we did our little caravan around uh, a couple times and said goodbye to them during COVID, which was good, but it was sad that that was all that we could really do. Uh, but then uh, as they were like, literally, they had packed up everything into their car, Karen and the kids, and the last place they stopped was here. And they said goodbye. And I said goodbye to them. I felt like I was getting to say goodbye, like on behalf of Cornerstone, uh, and just to communicate our love to them. And I felt like their love for us as they drove off. Uh, and so like, I think we can experience uh, love like this, right? We can experience a love that really cares about each other uh, in a church community. Uh, and it, it takes time. 
right? It takes time spending with families, uh, spending with each other, uh, pouring into each other's life. And one of the things, uh, so we, uh, myself, McKenna, Alex, Monica just did this discipleship intensive with the four C's. So heard from Terry, they, they put on like different things that you can go and get some training. Uh, we did it and like, they talked about like the main mission of the church is three things, loving God, loving each other and making disciples. And how it all starts with loving God. One of the most convicting things they said is that if you have like problems and broken relationships uh, in the church, it's probably because you're not loving God first and foremost. I was like, oh, that's kind of convicting, right? Uh, but then loving each other stems from that, right? Like we love God, we experience genuine His, His love back on us, and then we love one another. And then we get to the mission, right? That, that kind of drives our mission uh, to, to reach the lost and to make disciples. Uh, and so we can see here, like, Paul genuinely loves the Lord. He genuinely loves them. They genuinely love the Lord. They genuinely love him. And this can be a call to us to genuinely love the Lord and genuinely love each other. Uh, but this, I think, is, can be a little bit of a spiritual discipline, right? Like, you know, I think we kind of equate love with an emotion. It certainly is not less than that. It's also time that we talked about, but I also think love can be a bit of a discipline. And there's many people who go through difficult seasons in relationships and marriages and with significant others, and they kind of practice that spiritual discipline of sticking with one another, and that in itself fosters love. And so we see kind of uh, Paul was there for three years, but then there are these other things that he does too, right? So uh, uh, four ways to keep the ministry going forward, four ways that he's kind of cultivating this love is through receiving and sharing the gospel. Uh, so through loving the church, receiving and sharing the gospel. So verses 19 through 21 say this, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews who I did not shrink, shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul taught them anything that was good for them. He discipled them personally uh, in the church, these leaders he had been pouring into them. And it teaches them the two main things, right? Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. If we're not practicing a life of repentance and faith, then I, we're not really Christians. Repentance is just recognizing that you need a Savior. And faith is putting your trust in the Savior, Jesus. Uh, and, you know, it comes down to this. This is really grace. This is really grace, right? We talked a little about grace a little bit in our Christian Ed Hour this morning, right? It's receiving a free gift. It's, it's being forgiven when you don't deserve to be forgiven. I was kayaking with Bernie this week, and then he actually brought it up at the men's campfire too, this idea of grace, right? And he just, he, he was telling me about how he's in Galatians and and uh, they've been in it for a long time, but he just keeps preaching grace, grace, grace. Right? Like that's, you know, some people have an easier time with grace than others. I, I personally wrestle with it a little bit, and I know some of us do, and that's okay. Like, we just got to keep going back and keep trying to understand and keep hearing it. And that's what Paul does here, right? He just keeps preaching repentance, faith, he keeps preaching about grace, uh, and, uh, and it's good. It's good. Verses 22 through 26 say this, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, 
not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. I think it's really fascinating that Paul here says, I am innocent of your blood. Well, whoa, wait a second. Like, what's Paul talking about here? That seems a little bit odd. Thankfully, Mark just preached on Ezekiel. Uh, and so we have a little bit of a, uh, of, a, of a entry here because Ezekiel chapter 33, there's this story of a watchman. Uh, so like a sentry standing on a wall. And the sentry is standing on the wall. The town has appointed the sentry to stand on the wall to, to kind of guard the city and to warn them. And Ezekiel says, if the sentry is standing there and he sounds the alarm because the sword is coming, because the enemies are coming, and the town does nothing, then their blood is on themselves, right? You warned them, they did nothing, that's their problem. But, he said, if the sentry does not sound the alarm, if the, if the watchman does not sound the alarm, then their blood is on his hands. So Paul is saying, like, I've done what Ezekiel did, <laughs> I have sounded the alarm, I've preached about sin, I've preached about grace, I've told you about God's judgment, I've told you about God's love, I've told you it all. And I always find this passage to be particularly convicting, because I want us to take a moment and think about the watchman or sentry in our own lives, right? Like, who warned you? Who warned you? Who told you about Jesus? Who told you about God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness, your need for for forgiveness? Was it a, a pastor? Was it a friend? Was it a family member, a co-worker, a, 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 you know, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister? Like, let's just take a moment and thank God for them, that they sounded the alarm and that your blood is not on their hands. Thank you, God, for my parents. I think it was probably a community effort. Thank you, God, for my church. I was growing up, Mountain View Bible Fellowship in Estes Park, Colorado. Thank you for them, Lord. Maybe you can thank the Lord right now for that person or that church, that community. Maybe it was a track. Remember Anthony Cordemach, right? He received a track and it changed his life. Thank you, God. But now let's take a moment and think about, okay, so if they were a watchman to me, like who do I need to be a watchman for? Who do I need to be a sentry for? You know, who, who has God placed in my life, you know, that I have not warned, that I have not told about grace and love and sin? Is there someone that I need to tell about, you know? And there's always people in my mind. And so how can we begin to pray? Lord, give me opportunity to sound the alarm, to share. Hmm, it can be challenging. But it's an opportunity, right? We receive the gospel and then we, we share it. So how do we keep the ministry going forward? Genuinely loving, genuinely loving the church, receiving and sharing the gospel. Number three, raising up elders to lead and protect the church. We see this, Paul doing this. He says, for I did not receive, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock to which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. So the, we have elders at our church. Currently it's myself and John Rawls and Mark Pender. Andy served as an elder. We had Terry Isles. Uh, and these have been our shepherds, our elders, since uh, the, the beginning. God gives us this position in the church, these people in the church, to, to guard the doctrine, to, right, to like guard what we believe, to make sure that we're not going into false beliefs, whether that's like kind of the, the, the theological things that we find in the Bible or the practical application in our world today. Uh, but then he also gives us a whole church to help with the raising up of elders and, and shepherds, right? Like, if you're, you're teaching a kid's Sunday school, like, you're helping form the next generation, right? You're helping pass the baton. If you're teaching youth or adults, like, you're helping with that formation process. And so, we as a church come together and try to raise up elders to lead and protect the church. We call them, we recognize the elders in our midst, the people that are teaching, the people that are guarding the flock, we call them to, to continue in that task. So I do want to plug, like, our Christian education hour. <laughs> like, this is a place to learn the whole counsel of God, right? Uh, Terry did uh, the Old Testament survey last year. Monica did the New Testament survey this year. Jenny's doing worship through music right now. And I'll tell you what, that definitely changed how I sang that song. Like, I sing that song differently today. Uh, because we talked about it in Christian, uh, the, the, I'll be through the fire. I don't even know the title now. It was a good song. Um, right? It, it helps us to think and to be aware. And Paul warns them that, like, wolves are going to come out of your midst. That's kind of scary. So we actually have to keep an eye on our elders, too. Right? That people can come from our own congregation and fall into to traps. And that's why we have things like church discipline, because we want to we want to keep each other focused on the right things and believing in Christ. And as we, we're going to talk at our business meeting, right, like about the kind of the, the state of our leadership at the church. So John is finishing his seventh year. He started with the church plant ministry team, and now he's finishing his seventh year or sixth year as, a, as an elder. So in our bylaws, we have them take a, a one-year break. And so after my sabbatical, John's going to stay on through my sabbatical, but then he's going to step off, and then it's going to be Mark and myself. <laughs> That's, that, the Lord will use us in our weakness, uh, but it would be great if we had more. So we need to be thinking about that. How can we raise up more uh, in our church? Let's be looking for those opportunities. I don't think it's just a job for Mark and myself to do it. I think it's us together as a church to recognize the call to, to raise up, and Mark and I will continue to take the lead on that. So, how do we keep the ministry going forward? Through genuinely loving the church, receiving and sharing the gospel, public and privately. And one point I was going to add on that is that, you know, one of the things the worship team is, is talking about while I'm away is, is uh, doing a service on the Westford Common, July 4th. And that's pretty cool, right? Like, uh, having an opportunity to, to share the gospel. Like, so many people come who don't go to church when we do the service on the Common. And Andy uh, has a friend, I've listened to a sermon, very good, who's very evangelistic, and he's going to come and preach. 
Well, that's an opportunity for you to bring a friend, to invite, uh, Lord willing, if it works out, right? I hope it will. Through raising up elders to lead and to protect the church, and number four, through serving sacrificially. Man, Paul is an example of this. And now I commend you to God and the word of grace, which he is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul sacrificed time. He sacrificed money. You know, he, he was a, a, a tent maker, right? So he made tents. So he worked, funded himself. This is amazing. And in other places in Scripture, he certainly takes time to defend his right to receive uh, financial compensation. But overall, I mean, we see a life of sacrifice where he gives and gives and gives. And as we think about loving each other and serving, like, it, it, you know, that's how we keep the ministry going forward. That's how we pass the baton. It's just simply by serving of our time and our money and our energy and our effort. But back in verse 28, Paul said this. He said, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right? So all of this, how we keep the ministry going forward. And do you notice that the little batons in the other guy's hand, that was like a little thing I did. I, thought, I was really excited about that. He kind of like transitioned. I don't know if you can see it. See, it's like the batons. Oh, you guys excited for the graphics? The <laughs> You're like, this is what we pay you for? This is not a good use of our funds. It's <laughs> all right, I'm going on sabbatical. Um, verse 28 says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. You know, we're comfortable as evangelical Christians saying that Jesus spilt his blood for the church, but I don't think we're as comfortable as saying that God spilt his blood. Doesn't it feel a little awkward to say that God spilt his blood for us? God spilt his blood for us. Jesus is God. <laughs> Somehow God spilt his blood for us. This is what gives us life. This is what keeps the ministry going forward. The blood in our veins is God's blood spilt for us. That he substituted his life for us that we might live, that we might run the race. And I think that's, that's beautiful. That's challenging. And so it helps us think about loving each other. Uh, you know, Maybe the Lord doesn't call us to physically die for one another. Maybe he will. But when we give our time, when we get our energy and of ourselves, that's giving the same way Christ gave, laying down our lives for one another. I think that's beautiful. Uh, you know, I wanted to finish the story with the USA women's uh, relay team. Uh, so they, they went to the finals <laughs> And English gardener didn't bring her spikes. She didn't bring her running shoes. She was like searching in her bag. Just like, what? <laughs> of all the times to forget your shoes, the Olympics final is not a great time to do that. But Allison Felix had brought an extra pair. So she was like that friend, that Boy Scout friend, Girl Scout friend, who's like extra prepared. <laughs> she was extra prepared. 
And those shoes aren't quite, quite the right size, and they look a little big on her if you like watch the video. Uh, but she like strapped them on super tight, laced them up, and they ran the race. And uh, I guess they had one of the slower times, so they were on the inside track, uh, but they still won it. Like they just <laughs> raced, and they're just incredible athletes, like all of you. And it's amazing how like their, their story kind of turned around, right? They, they dropped the baton, and they won gold. And here's a, a pretty cool picture of them celebrating being super stoked what they were able to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I drop the baton. <laughs> I, I often drop the baton. Or I don't feel very fast, right? Got that COVID-20 that COVID going on. Uh, and yet God can use us in our weakness because ultimately it's not our blood that's empowering us, it's his. It's the blood of Christ. And so, as we think about ourselves as a church, not just this summer, but big picture, let's constantly be thinking, how can we pass the baton to one another? How can we run this race together? And we've talked about some ways uh, that we can do that. And when, I, when we do this, I think we'll see God move in incredible and amazing ways. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you for those people in our lives that passed us the baton. You know, Emmanuel Church passed Cornerstone the baton. Uh, and here we are, up and, up and running, Lord, and wanting to serve you, wanting to love you, uh, wanting to, you know, get out there and preach the gospel and be centuries for those people in our lives that you've placed us in and around. Pray that you would help us do that, Lord, lay people on our hearts that we would follow that. You know, what does that look like, Lord? Help us to, to follow your leading. We love you so much, Lord. We just want to run this race faithfully uh, in the time that you've given us to do it. Thank you for Jesus done for us on our behalf. In his name we pray, amen.